Welcome to episode three of Don't Punt to Geo, a Carolina football podcast hosted by TarHillBlog.com on the SBNation.com podcast network. My name is Chad Floyd. Carolina played a spring game. It is uh, April 14th, 2019, year of our Lord. And I am joined by two guys who at least watched the spring game. Um, while I was in attendance, these guys have done a lot better work than me in going ahead, breaking down some film. So we're going to talk through it here. First of all, Akil Garuparan up in somewhere in Illinois. Akil, how are you? Good, sir. I'm doing all right here in Urbana-Champaign. So do you call it Urbana-Champaign or just Urbana or just Champaign? Um, it, it's a Twin Cities kind of deal. So there's Urbana and there's Champaign. I live in Champaign and the university just goes by both. Okay, good deal. I, I thought I had always heard uh, Champagne or Urbana, so I was a little thro- thrown off by that. But yeah, I could be I, completely wrong. From what, I he- from what I hear, it was that at some point, and then sometime in the 2000s they switched. Oh, good. That seems Who knows? extremely convenient. Yeah. Also joining me from somewhere in the great state of Arizona, Jacob Cowden. Uh, Jacob, it might be your first time on this new format. How are you, man? I'm good. It is my new time on the new format, which took why well, took me a little bit to get set up, but sounds like we're good to go now. Hey, you sound great to me, and uh, if you don't, then somebody else will be sure to tell me about it, and uh, hopefully not you. But um, yeah, if they but but if they do tell you, then please pass that complaint on to me. Um, like yeah. I said in the intro, this is episode three of Don't Punt to Geo. Uh, we are talking some football tonight because Carolina had their spring game under Mac Brown. Um, just to jump right into it, I mean, let's talk about the quarterbacks because that is going to be the biggest elephant in the room. Akil, I know you watched it, uh, this morning. You got to break it down, uh, between Sam Howell, uh, Jace Reuter and Cade Fortin. You know, what did you see? Uh, I, obviously Reuter had the best numbers. I think personally, I can make an argument that he was the least impressive of the three despite that. Uh, I don't know. I, Sam Howell looks really good. Um, he had, I think, fewer re- read option plays than the other two, and that was the primary area I saw both the redshirt freshmen struggling. Uh, Cade Fortin particularly, I thought, made some bad reads at times, but that might just be like spring spring game, like quarterbacks protecting themselves. So yeah. I don't know the details of the run options or the pass options that they got, but uh, Jace Reuter I expected to have more experience with that coming from an option-type offense. Um, and he made a couple of nice reads, one of them going for his touchdown rush. But Kate, Kate Fortin looked like uh, a lot of his handoffs in RPOs and read option plays went nowhere, and that was the biggest thing. That was the only thing that really stuck out negatively for me. They all made some really nice throws. They had touch when they needed to. They had velocity when they needed to. It's really just refreshing to be able to see good quarterback play in a Tar Heel uniform after a couple of years. That was, that was the absolute number one takeaway. You know, I mean, it, it was three guys who you could see being at worst ACC caliber. Uh, Jacob, kind of what was your initial impression of the, the three guys behind center? Yeah, I thought they were all good. I think just for the three of them, I was impressed with. They all had, like Akil said, good touch and like good touch on at least one or two deep balls from all of them. But I thought Hal played the best. The first drive, I honestly thought it was like a drill. They just like walked down the field. He connected on some, some like 15 yard in routes, some, some really deep routes and had some nice touch on them. 
Um, Reuter's numbers, like he had like an 80 something yard pass, I think his first one. So it was a bit inflated by that. And he did have the best rushing totals, but Hal had a lot of drops, like where the receivers just dropped it. And some of them he could have put a little more, they're like uh, not accurate, but on target throws were like they hit the receiver, but it could have been placed better. But even with that, I thought Hal looked the best out of the three yesterday. Yeah. And he, he hit Corey Bell in stride. Um, Hit him in the hands, went right through them for, uh, Dominique Ross's pick. So, I mean, uh, that cheapened, uh, Howell's stat line a little bit, but I kind of agree that to me, you know, he, he looked the most comfortable in the offense. And I think the fact that he played in a very similar system last year kind of gave him a leg up, you know, despite being a year behind the other two guys. Um, I did agree that Fortin looked a little bit uncomfortable and Reuter just looked maybe a little rusty. Uh, for my taste, just having been out with the injury, you know, he missed on a few easier throws that should have been e- easy picking. But um overall, I think, you know, what y'all said, I mean, it was fantastic to see three guys who seemed fully capable. Um Jacob, just sticking with you, if you were to handicap the race, what would you expect to see right now uh coming into fall camp or even into August 30th when the Heels play South Carolina? So, yeah, it's interesting. Mac Brown said, like, none of the quarterbacks had, were, had started their competition yet, and they were waiting just so they could, like, learn the offense, which, great mentality. But I honestly think Hal's locked down at least the backup job, and worst he can do is that. And then Fortin or Ruder are going to – one of them's going to be on the roster. The other one's going to be looking to transfer just because we can't have three quarterbacks on the roster like that. Um, but I think Hal has to be the favorite because top 100 recruit, true freshman. Um, he looked the cleanest. Yeah, I liked what he said about his high school offense. I wrote, I think about a month or two ago, I wrote an article about him in high school. And it honestly, yesterday looked just like his high school tape that I've been watching for, for months now. So I think Hal's the clear favorite in Fortin and Ruder, while they can still win the job, I think those two are really competing for a roster spot more than the starting job, I think. Yeah, and I don't really think either one of them is going to transfer until maybe after this coming season. But, um, Akil, do you kind of get that same sense that Howell's probably 1A where the other two guys are running uh, 1B, 1C? I don't know about that particular. I think, like I was saying before, like um, Phil Longo's got a fair bit of option-type stuff into his offense and RPO-type stuff. And Reuter's got an advantage there, both with his mobility and his experience making those reads, which is mm-hmm. the only thing I think that makes me hesitant to name Howell the favorite because, I, I mean, he was labeled a pro-style quarterback before the Army game where he showed some wheels, but it's still not a part of the game I think he's comfortable with. And I, I don't know, I always I, I, I tend to give handicaps to mobile quarterbacks in college because it just makes, it makes stuff so much harder on defenses. So I don't know if I'm going to make Ruder the favorite, but I'd probably bet on the field over Howell at this point. Yeah, and I we haven't really seen a lot of Ruder in college, but in high school he got a lot of his rushing yards from like like Akil said, like knowing the reads, understanding the run game. And if you look at Howell's like high school stats, he was a, a pretty good runner. But I was watching the film; a lot of that was just because he was a better athlete. Um, but not a better runner, if that makes sense, where, where Reuter's more of a natural runner, even though Hal had some athleticism that he's shown. So that does make sense, what you were saying. Yeah, I, I think, you know, you, you could make a case for all three of them because if, I, if 
there are three of us here and I want to take Fortin's side. You know, Fortin has done it and looked good over extended duty in actual uh, ACC competition. So, you know, there, there are definitely um, pros and cons for everybody there. And Fortin is still, you know, basically a true freshman at this point, just based on the fact that he missed his whole senior year of high school. So it's it's going to be interesting going into the fall. Um, I would say the second biggest thing that really happened on Saturday was uh, the news that J.J. McCargo, the center, had uh, retired medically, which uh, you, you never like to hear. Jacob, was this due for uh, UNC's interior offensive line depth? Um, obviously, they've been playing without him for basically the past two years, so they can get by. But who's going to? Who are you going to be looking to to step up? Um, as Nick Polino took a bunch of the center snaps here in spring ball. Yeah, well, the thing with the offensive line is they're they're so young right now, which is the problem. So I think Nick Polino obviously is going to be the guy. Um, I think William Barnes, last year we talked about him being a true freshman. Uh, he came in as a tackle, but he played a little bit on the interior line last year. Um, it's probably just me going with like how he was such a highly recruited, uh, high school player, but I think it's an opportunity, especially because, um, there's more problems on the inside where he could like lock down a guard spot at least, at least for this year until we bump him back out to tackle later on. Yeah. And then you had, um, Ed Montillis and Josh Azudu, a couple more redshirt freshmen, as well as Billy Ross uh, rotating in at guards. Akil, did you see anything that jumped out at you um, rewatching the game today? Um, nothing particularly watching the spring game, but I've been watching some film on William Sweet for a forthcoming draft breakdown, and it is stunning how good William Barnes was last year. Every snap, he outshines everyone else on the line, and I was shocked to not see him starting the spring game. Um, and the announcer, or I think it was... Um, it was Lee Pace, I think, who mentioned that Ed Montalus had been outperforming William Barnes in spring ball. And, I mean, I kind of buy it because it was what we were seeing on the field, but William Barnes was so good last year that I can't not see, I can't see him not starting when the season rolls in and one of the other guys who played interior line in high school, either Zudu or Montillas, maybe Montillas for some high school brought up synergy, uh, taking the center spot, which might not be too big a leap for them. And, or, you know, Polino can man it, obviously, but he's more a swing guy than a guy you want starting with you. Yeah, I can see, I mean, the three guys you just named taking the three interior spots with Billy Ross possibly uh, competing on the right side as Charlie Heck moves to left tackle. Um, what I noticed, though, was just the sheer mass of these human beings on the offensive line. Uh, Jordan Tucker and Marcus McKeithen are just men out there, as well as uh, Avery Jones, who um, was kind of back and forth throughout the game. And then... Um, Barnes and Montalus, I mean, they, they're gigantic human beings too. So UNC very much, you know, in contrast to recent years, looked the part of, you know, a high caliber college football team just based on size. Uh, Jacob, any more offensive line thoughts or shall we move on to the skill positions a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I thought, I thought Polino played pretty well, but we move on to the skill positions. Yeah, and, you know, obviously the heels were missing. Uh, Michael Carter, who is still probably the best running back, but that gave 
ample opportunity to uh, Javante Williams and walk on British Brooks. Um, Brooks had one really nice carry and looked the part out there. Uh, Javante Williams was awesome. Uh, Antonio Williams got some work. And then among the receivers, I think you would be remiss not to mention Corey Bell as a guy who really looked like a breakout candidate. Uh, Akil, what was, what was your first thought just uh, watching the skill positions? Um, yeah, you got most of it, I think. Um, Javante Williams picked up right where he left off at the end of last year. He's got a really tough style to him. Uh, he went up the middle pretty fearlessly. He fell forward. Uh, Antonio Williams did what he had done last year, but don't think he got quite as much opportunity. Brooks, yeah, you're absolutely right. He got what was given to him and he looked the part and then he had one run where he looked really shifty in a really, in a really nice way. And as far as the receivers go, uh, I think it, Daz Newsom got some work early, which was good to see. He had a drop, which was less good to see. I'm really, really big on Daz. Um, Corey Bell Jr. from the slot position made some plays. I, I really loved his, um, his, the swing pass he took for a 10 because I, w- I was expecting some of the route skills to translate from cornerback to receiver. Uh, his, like, how natural his hands looked and how good he looked with the ball in his hands was something I did not expect to see. That was a really nice surprise. Yeah, I mean, he's, he, you could tell he's still a little raw as a route runner, but, um, I mean, he really did have some Ryan Switzer to his game just based on, uh, his hands and his moving with the ball. Um, you know, Jacob, uh, what, what else kind of caught your eye? Obviously, Carl Tucker had a big day, um, had one big drop, but what, I mean, could be a force to be reckoned with in this offense. And then, you know, really, I guess the question I have for you is what kind of route combos were you seeing? I was on the sideline, so, um, I didn't really get to, I, I haven't gotten to check in and really see, you know, what, what they were running out, uh, down the sidelines. Yeah, so I was going to mention Carl Tucker. Like, he had obviously that one big catch. I think Reuter threw him that where he went down to the nine-yard line. And I think he'll have to be a, be, have to be a force to be reckoned with for Carolina this year, especially with the style of offense they want to play. As far as the routes they were running, they were honestly, like, really simple routes. Um, made it easy on the um, on the receivers, on the quarterback. A lot of, like I mentioned, deep in routes, a lot of go routes. Um out routes. They um one thing they mentioned was in Longo's offense the receivers um quote chase grass where there's not necessarily like a predetermined route, but it's more of like the receiver have options and just kind of go with what the the quarterback was giving or sorry, what the defense was giving them. So the the simplicity of Longo's offense combined with it's a spring game, so you're not gonna show a whole lot. It was honestly just very simple route combinations, just like deep ins, deep outs, go routes, some some hitches, but not a whole lot. Yeah, and, and uh, um, I, I was uh, hanging out with our good buddy, colleague Jake Lawrence, uh, on the sideline for most of the game. And, you know, what we were kind of gathering was it was some combination of where everybody had an option route, um, while also, you know, with the run to space, I mean, it kind of had just a schoolyard vibe to it. You know, is that is that kind of what translated to TV, guys? Yeah, well, that's what I sure. saw, which made it – um Fun, I think. That's why I thought Sam Howell played really well. Like he seemed in high school, kind of like ran that like that backyard offense. But it was, um, yeah, exactly right. That's what I saw. Yeah. So when I wrote about Phil Longo a 
I guess a few weeks after he was hired and the offense that he likes to run. Uh, there's two types of, I guess, playground offense that he runs. There's the first kind of standard air raid, like you give them a route and then they attack grass from where that route starts. And then there's just free routes where you just go one-on-one with the DB and get open by any means necessary. I think we saw a lot more of the former than the latter, which I liked. Um, one particularly hilarious moment was the deep ball that I think went from Reuter to Brown to Newsom, if I'm remembering right. But Newsom had been lined up in the slot on the left, and Diami Brown was on the outside of on the left, and both of them recognized the same coverage breakdown and ran to almost exactly the same spot, which almost brought a defender there by accident because uh, one of their one of their one of their corners had been lost and the other wasn't, but since they both attacked the same area, it almost got broken up anyways, and Newsom made a really good play on the ball to prevent that from happening. Yeah, I, I did see a little bit of uh, route overlap, and, you know, I, th- I think y'all, or Akil, you bring up a really good point where, you know, they do have kind of the standard, you know, route combos, and then they do have kind of more of the playground because, you know, a lot of what I was seeing was, a hitch and bubble combo or a slant and bubble combo to one side and then, you know, kind of more of a um go and post on the other side. So, I mean, it's almost like you're trying to make the defense guess, you know, where you're going underneath and uh, where you're going to try to blow the top off of them. But um, it, it was it was interesting. It was fascinating. And I guess just the one more thing, going back to Javante Williams, um, Matthew Flint, tackled Javante Williams to stop him short of a touchdown uh, very early in the second half. I don't think Matthew Flint played again because that was a bad business decision on his, his part. Javante Williams is a monster. Um, but anyway, um, speaking of Matthew Flint and his colleagues, the defense was down a whole bunch of guys. I mean, you had second and third stringers uh, out there with the first team. And you didn't really see a whole lot from you know, from – a schematic perspective from uh, Jay Bateman. So, Jacob, you know, just kind of who are your standouts on the defensive end? And um, beyond that, I mean, I guess we better talk about some recruiting stuff a little bit. Yeah, I think on the defensive end, um, one guy, not necessarily because of his play, was just more name, but Chasserat, the former quarterback, I thought he actually played pretty well. There were a few times where he got washed down and, and couldn't get off the block, but um, he actually was the one who tackled, uh, Carl Tucker on that, that long ball we've mentioned a couple yeah. of times. So I thought he played pretty well for his first spring game. And Storm Duck, I think what you guys were going to mention if I didn't, um, for a true freshman, you I beat thought, me to he, it. yeah, yeah, I thought those two players stood out. Storm Duck more, I thought played really well. And then schematically, um, the, on the, when we went to nickel, instead of going to like a four, two, five, they took a defensive lineman off and went three, three, five. From what I was seeing, so that was the most interesting schematic thing. But like you said, there wasn't really a whole lot going on. Yeah, and with um Chris Collins and Tamon Fox really at outside backer, which I don't think Chris – I mean, just based on his size, Chris Collins is not going to be an outside linebacker once the season rolls around, I don't believe. Um, It did kind of feel like everybody was playing out of position, but, I mean, I saw the sub packages more as like a 2-4-5, really, Um, just from when I was kind of trying to – count bodies but you know Akil another guy that kind of stood out to me was Dominique Ross um 
you know, obviously he had a good nose for the ball. Really, I thought he had that first interception. Then he got the second one on the tip ball we mentioned earlier. But that dude was everywhere. Um, what what else did you see on the defensive side? Uh, I was going to mention Alex Nobles had himself a game. Yeah. On the defensive line. He stuffed a few runs. He got, or, I mean, the sacks were kind of bogus anyways, because most of them looked like stuff that they got, um, any of the quarterbacks could have run away from, because all three of them, I guess this is something we didn't mention before, but all three of them looked really comfortable managing a pocket, and I feel like none of, almost none of the sacks that were called would have been sacks in real life because of how they were managing and, it. And quick conspiracy theory, um, Howell was definitely touched on his touchdown pass. You know, to where it was a sack for everybody else, but he climbed the pocket really nicely on that ball. Um, but it was, you know, I, I know, uh, Jake and I mentioned it in the Slack channel last night, but we, we, we thought that was funny that that one slid by for the touchdown to Roscoe Johnson. Okay. Anyway, I cut you off there. Yeah. But Alex Nobles, I thought stood out really well. He got, he consistently bent, bent around the edge. He, Stuffed a few tackle, stuffed a few runs when it was time to. His name kept popping up on broadcast, and I thought he was for, for a guy I didn't know what to expect coming in. He really impressed me. Yeah, I would uh, grant you that one. Um, another one on the defensive line was uh, Brant Lawless, the um, former four-star defensive tackle who never enrolled at Tennessee. He was uh, occupying multiple blockers throughout his time in the game. Um, it did look like he was running with the third team mostly. But he was very good. And then just from, you know, kind of a, my perspective thing, you know, I'm, I'm about the size of like a good sized cover two NFL corner. Patrice Renee made me feel small. I mean, that guy is massive. Just, um, being right there with him. But I mean, he was, you know, when, when he got his hands on somebody for a jam, the play was over for that receiver. And I saw it a couple of times where he got, uh, Deami Brown locked up, but, you know, there are definitely some pieces on that defense. I think, if anything, I mean, Jacob, would you kind of say the concern is just the amount of plays they're going to have to run uh, as opposed to uh, Bateman's defenses at Army where we don't really have the depth built yet? Yeah, uh, and, you know, I should have mentioned uh, Patrice Renee. I think just because my expectations are so high for him and he met him is why I just slid my mind when you asked me about him, but uh, yeah, I think the depth, I think obviously hopefully the more healthy in the fall, but the depth combined, it's such a different, um, mindset from what the offense Jay Bateman had to work with in Army where, like, uh, we're gonna try to run like 75 to 80 plays where I don't know whether they're running at Army, but it had to be closer to like 50-ish. So, um, the defense is gonna be tired like depth with an, uh, depth for a defense that has an air raid offense is so important because even when you get a break, like when the offense, even if they have a long drive, it's like not like in real life, it's not that long of time. So I think depth is going to be an issue, uh, even though they do have pieces. Um, was that an answer to your question? That was probably longer winded than you'd like, but. Oh, no, no, I, I can dig it. Um, I think the thing for me is I'm just a little bit surprised that more guys haven't been shifted over to the defense. I mean, just to give them warm bodies, especially yesterday with really five starters out. Um, I was surprised to see, given the depth at running back, uh, Devin Lawrence getting snaps at running back after he had moved a little bit. I could have seen him, 
you know, he, he's got the size to maybe be a decent inside backer, but, um, Akil, do you see kind of any more position changes that could be coming in the spring? Because right now, I mean, the back seven on the defense, well, really the whole defense as a whole looks scary thin, but, um, are you thinking that that could be the case or do you think just having the reinforcements and uh, guys getting healthy is going at least us uh, solve the woes for the time being? Uh, it could happen, and there have been some whispers about the guys coming in being expected, being uh, maybe encouraged to change positions. Uh, the from the ones they've been playing in high school, so that like even the reinforcements could contribute to that kind of switching. But it's it's really early to determine that kind of stuff. We've got a lot of people coming back, so I, I don't know. It could happen. It could not. But it's kind of late. Even it's it's starting to get kind of late to really implement more changes than have already been made, I, I would think. Yeah, and and seeing the creativity and, you know, I mean, guys like Marcus McKeithen and Avery Jones, who they did try on the defensive line, I mean, they were predominantly playing on the offensive line yesterday. Um, so, I mean, you know, I think they've probably been a little bit more liberal with position changes than uh, even we would be led to believe. Um, just kind of any closing thoughts on the spring game, uh, Jacob, I'll start with you, you know, well, I'll start with you. I'll get to mine. And after that, <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, this isn't like headline or anything, but Noah Ruggles, I thought there was going to be more of a kicking competition. Uh, he seems to have locked down the kicking spot is one observation that, that I had at the spring game that we didn't talk about yet. Yeah. That, 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 that is a good point. Um, well, Akil, uh, you're, you're back on the hook for one then. <laughs> um, sticking with special teams, I think in the same way that Noah Ruggles seems to have starting kicker lockdown, I think it's pretty clear that the staff doesn't have any trust in the punters who are on campus yet. I think there were like two punts the entire spring game and a bunch of fourth downs they just left the quarterbacks on the field for. So it's pretty clear to me they're putting their eggs into Ben Kiernan or a walk-on in the fall basket. And you hope that situation resolves itself, but also, um, if you're not going full tilt on special teams in a spring game, I don't really know what the point of punting it would be, you know, because in some situations you're going to have to get that fourth and 15 from your own 37, which was one of the attempts. Um, for me, kind of the primary takeaway was just, you know, juxtaposed with the previous staff, just how intentional everything was. Um, you know, everything was really well structured. If, uh, the PA announcer missed a player's name, Matt Brown cut on his microphone and corrected it. Um, so I mean, just the attention to detail and the structure was, uh, impressive to me. And, you know, from that, I did see some pretty good structure, uh, with, you know, the recruits they had on campus. Um, Walt passed, uh, Malik Hornsby and Tim Brewster talking shop back and forth a lot during the first half. Um, I have not really caught up on any news, but, uh, Akil, is there any, is there any news to report as of right now? Um, only thing I got is that the other quarterback that UNC's in on got a, a big crystal ball to UNC. Uh, I haven't started checking recruiting stuff yet either, but. Yeah, well. Attendance seems to have been pretty decent for how rainy it was in Chapel Hill. That's all I've got. 
Yeah, and nobody's telling me any recruiting news either, so we we might be a little bit new to this. And then, you know, by the time the next recruit cap comes out, we might have three more commits to come back and talk about. So, um, you know, and as far as it goes, I mean, the weather, you know, it it was terrible all day. Like even at noon, I I didn't think I was going, and then you know the sun came out around four o'clock, and we went up there, had a great time, but. Jacob, did you kind of get any scuttlebutt or rumors uh, on the recruiting aspect, or was it just good to see the list of names that uh, made it on campus, inclusive of probably double digits, four- and five-star guys? Yeah, I mean, bunch of names, bunch of high-star guys. I mean, I heard nothing but positive things about Malik Hornsbury. That's kind of what I had my eye on more than any other commit, and I don't have, like, I don't have sources or anything, but just like everything I've read from, from him, from coaches and other, other outlets, it seemed like it was a really positive visit and it made an impact on him. Yeah. And to bring a guy in from Texas, I mean, you know, I, I think we've almost joked about how Mac Brown has his hands on everything. I mean, where there's a top 10 basketball recruit that wants to come to Carolina partly because Mac Brown's here and, you know, that, that just seems kind of backwards, but, um, I mean, it's really just kind of fascinating to see the uh, level of connections and the level of, I mean, even now, just um, cachet he still has. Um, So, you know, yeah, I mean, really just going into kind of the dead period where, you know, we're going to be trying to take things away from camps and voluntary workouts and hopefully not too much attrition. I mean, Jacob... I don't really think I've asked you this on air yet, but, you know, what's your takeaway from the first uh, five months back under uh, Mac Brown here? I My takeaway is that I was completely wrong. When he got hired, I think I was the most vocal out of all, like, us. Like, I'm not excited about it. Like, I think he's been away from the game too long. I'm just really disenchanted with how things ended at Texas. But my main thing was, like, high schoolers, like, that, that basketball recruit, like Malik Hornsby, um, I just thought that when they went to the national championship with Colt McCoy, that was like 2009. So all these high school kids were like in third or second grade. So I just didn't think it was going to be a big name for the recruits. And I've been very wrong on that in a, you know, surprise, a happy, surprising way. But that's been my takeaway from the Mac Brown era is like the cachet he does have with, with all these young kids. I thought that wouldn't be a thing anymore. Yeah. I, I think you and I were, um, we're leading the uh, charge in very healthy skepticism. And, you know, we, we obviously had Jake uh, pumping it up a little bit, but Akil, yeah. did you fall somewhere in the middle? Um, were you a skeptic with us? Um, I think we were all skeptics during the uh, Greg Robinson fiasco day, but beyond that, oh, yeah. you know, what, what, what's been your takeaway? So I am a much more recent college football fan than the two of you. And thus I had, little to no knowledge of the Mac Brown era at Texas other than that he was there and helped Vince Young to a national championship. But I, I just knew that he was an older guy who'd been out of coaching for a while, and it seemed like hiring him was a move for, like, the rich UNC boosters and not for actually for the program, and I didn't like it for that reason for, without actually getting into football. But since he's been around, I think he's made good, like, informed football decisions like I haven't agreed with everything and I think he could have been a little more critical like he could have uh, subjected Phil Longo to maybe a little more criticism than he has based on his tenure at Ole Miss and what he's done 
and that that'll be something to look forward to in the fall to see if he's allowed his receivers a little more freedom than he did then. But I think he's showed himself to have been really involved in like wanting to get back into coaching when he was at ESPN. There's been articles about him taking interviews like with coaches just to keep on say on top of the game. He's a lot more modern than you would have thought a 70-year-old man would have been. Like, he talks about social media and stuff. So he hasn't really carried that image of, like, old guy out of touch with the game who's, like, whom the game has passed by. Uh, he's hired the right people. There's intentionality to what UNC's going to do. He's built relationships. Like, he's done everything he needed to do to convince skeptics, I think. And the team looks a lot better for it. It's not just, it's not just been for PR anymore now that we've seen the spring game and the intentionality on the field it's kind of given credence to the kinds of things that we were seeing in positive directions before yeah and I mean Brown had already won just every PR battle there was you know getting to every high school um, bringing in so far a top 10 uh, recruiting class uh, winning Sam Howell and Tristan Miller battles from uh, last year's recruiting class you know um to actually see the product on the field and, you know, Akil, I think we both use the word uh, intentionality here in this podcast, you know, just to see the product manifest itself in such a way that, you know, looked like they knew what they were doing, they came in with a plan, was really encouraging to see. So I think uh, we, we would all be in agreement that it's been a good start. And um from here, you know, we're just going to see where it goes, but hopefully we can jump back on real quick and uh, talk about the next five top 100 uh, recruits to commit to UNC. Um, Jacob, at Jacob Cowden 28 on Twitter, what do you have to plug, good sir? I know you have a podcast of your own, and um, what do you have coming to the site this week? Yeah, I do have a podcast of my own. It's called Double Take with Matt and Jake. It's on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audio Boom. Check that out when you're not listening to this. But as far as the site, um, Akil and I were actually talking about that right before we hopped on. I'm going to do a, a Malik Carney, a draft profile for, for Malik Carney, the defensive end. Um, so I'm really excited about that. So I'll probably come out end of this week, I think. I love it, man. Uh, Malik Carney would definitely look good at uh, one of those outside linebacker spots in Bateman's defense. You know, it's, it's kind of like, uh, when, Fedora got here and we were running that three three five and Dante Page Moss left a year early and we're like, man, that's the guy they were looking for. Um yeah. Akil, what do you have coming to the site this week? I know uh you've got plenty and then I'll I always yeah. get your Twitter handle wrong, so I'm not gonna do it this time. Achilles Hill seventeen. That's right. Yep. Uh yes. Achilles with a K. Yep, similar to what Jacob was saying, I'm hoping I can get uh, Will Sweet draft breakdown on the site by the end of this week, and I'll have our recruiting update and ahead of the NFL draft, maybe just a recap of how UNC's guys have been doing the pre-draft process and where they might get drafted. I love it. I love it. Um, I mean, what what what's a uh, good fit for Will Sweet just based on you know kind of his injury history and. You know, I, I assume he's going to come come in somewhere and probably be a backup on both sides of the tackle board for a couple of years. Yeah, um, it's a really weird evaluation with Sweet because he does almost everything right, but it's just like it's 
he does almost everything right, but his mobility is not great and his functional strength not great, and it's hard to tell what's going to translate. Which is why I think Pro Football Focus loves him and almost nobody else does, is because what he did worked in college, but it's kind of hard to reject. But I think he could he can get great. Like a weight room will do him good. So a place with a solid history of developing offensive tackles, especially a place with a history of developing some meaner ones, would it would fit him pretty nicely, I think. So he'll go to the Patriots and be a six time pro bowler is what I'm hearing. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> I can dig it. Well, um, I will definitely be looking forward to those, and if um, and we'll, we'll talk offline if uh, we need an Anthony Ratliff Williams one or something. But um, as for I got me, an Anthony Ratliff Williams we, one up actually the other day. See, it has been a busy week for me. So yeah, also y'all go re- read that. Um, as for me, I don't really know what's going to be coming this week, but. We will keep you posted. Um, maybe I'll write a tribute to Tiger Woods and somehow tie it back to Carolina. I don't know. Um, until next time, though, thank you all for listening. Please jump on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, wherever you all listen to this podcast. Leave us a five-star review. I will read it on the air. Um, I don't have Internet connection on my laptop at the moment, so I do not know if we got any new reviews. But next time, we will lead off the program with that. Until next time. Go Heels.